All right, everyone, welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast. My name is James. I'm your host, and today is episode 40, the big four zero. So before I dive into the content that I have for you today, I want to take a minute and and start with a couple announcements. So first, I was going back through the feed and looking at episodes that were available to everyone. And I realized that I had some weird setting enabled that was only showing the past 10 episodes. So like I said, episode 40, that's tonight. And you're only seeing the most, uh, the 10 most recent episodes. So I decided to change that setting. Uh, once I found out that it was a thing, changed it immediately. And now you have access to all of the episodes that we've done, and that should have already automatically updated on your feed. So I would challenge all of you out there to take a minute and dig back through some of these older episodes, because there really is some great content on there. Uh, The third episode that I did was Sobrino de Botin in Madrid, Spain, and that's the oldest continuously operating restaurant in the world. And we also have Bassett's ice cream on the show around episode eight, I want to say. And they are America's oldest ice cream brand. They were making ice cream all the way back when President Lincoln was president. And then one of my favorites is on the Buffalo Wing episode. We had the director from the great Chicken Wing Hunt, fantastic documentary on the show to talk about buffalo wings and the history behind those so a lot of great content out there uh in those earlier episodes and i think you'll all really enjoy that 100 so uh i'm not biased at all don't don't worry you know uh i know you're gonna enjoy it put a lot of time into those and have some great interviews for you to listen to so look back through the feed find something that's interesting to you and uh and dig in. And I also wanted to say thanks to everyone for finding the show. Thanks for listening. And for all of you out there, if you like what you hear, make sure you leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. That's really going to help people find the show. And also make sure you share with a friend. Now, we're all in that situation where, uh, you know, we have people around us always asking, have you heard any good podcasts out there? And that's a perfect opportunity for you to mention the Toasty Kettle podcast. That's also really going to help grow this audience. So uh, again, super thanks for all of you out there who are already doing that. Uh, If this is your first time listening to one of the Toasty Kettle episodes. Glad you're here. Hope you enjoy today's episode. So for tonight's show, for tonight's show, I'm going to dive into the history of popcorn. Now, popcorn is one of my all-time favorite foods. I come from a family that is absolutely obsessed with popcorn. And Obsessed might be the understatement of the year. I mean, we live for that tasty, crunchy, salty snack. When I started researching who invented popcorn, 
it became quickly apparent that it wasn't a single person. Now, many people have placed their stamp on this delightful history of popcorn through the years. And in today's episode, we're going to highlight just a few of those. So the history of popcorn, you know, like tamales and like guacamole, we get to talk about the Aztecs again. They really had it going on. A lot of my favorite foods seem to originate in the Aztec history. So the history of popcorn stretches back thousands of years. Archaeologists have actually found popcorn kernels that are almost 4,000 years old. And these kernels have been so well preserved that they can actually still pop. Now, that's incredible. Uh, popcorn was a big deal in the ancient Americas. Like I mentioned, the Aztecs really embraced popcorn. They would actually wear strands of popcorn as part of ceremonial headdresses and clothing, and they would also give them as offerings to their gods. And when the Spanish invaded, like everything else from the Aztec culture, it made its way around the world. Corn, particularly popcorn, spread worldwide. So a couple things with popcorn. Have you ever wondered why does popcorn pop? Why do these hard kernels turn into something crunchy and fluffy while the corn on the cob from the store is just going to smolder and burn. Now, I used to think popcorn was just dried sweet corn or filled corn, and I never knew it was a specific variety grown for the purpose of popping. It actually takes a special kind of corn to pop. There are four different types of corn. Uh, of course, you're going to have four different types to consider. Now, the first is dent corn. Dent corn is the most common type of corn that's grown in the USA. It's hard, it's starchy, and when it's dried, a small dent forms on the kernels, hence the name dent corn. Now, this is what is ground up and used for livestock feed. Flint corn is up next. Flint corn is grown in Central and South America. It has a hard outer shell similar to the dent corn, and it's most often used as a decoration around harvest time in the fall in North America. And uh, it's those beautiful dark purple, almost black ears of dried corn that you see around the fall. And dent, uh, sorry, flint corn also can pop. It's one of the few that can actually pop. Um, sweet corn is our third type. Now, this is what we think of when we think of corn. It's what you're going to find in the grocery store. It's an, uh, almost entirely soft starch, and it contains a lot of sugar. And this is the variety of corn, again, that we are going to consume at family dinners and picnics throughout the summer. And this will never pop. <laughs> Don't even try it. All other corn is picked when it's in a mature and dry state, not sweet corn. And this variety is picked during the immature stage when the kernels are soft and sweet. And last but not least, we have popcorn. Now, popcorn is a type of flint corn. However, it does have a specific size, shape, and moisture content. It has a hard, starchy outer le level uh, and a soft, starchy layer inside. And these tiny, hard kernels become pressure cookers under heat. 
the moisture inside will steam and eventually rupture the outer shell. And that soft, starchy center will ooze out and quickly harden. And that's the white, crunchy part of popcorn that we know and love. It's what gives popcorn, it's what makes popcorn popcorn. Other varieties of corn will open and burst slightly when heated, but not anything like popcorn. And that's because popcorn has the optimal amount of moisture inside. That moisture inside the kernel is absolutely critical for that popping process. Popcorn will contain around 13.5% moisture in the center. That tends to be the sweet spot between 13 and 15%. Now, I'm going to talk about some of the names that have contributed to popcorn history. Now, Charles Creeters, what was his big contribution to food history and to uh, the history of popcorn? Now, history is rife with people that made significant contributions to the world. And in my mind, Charles Creeters contributed big to world history as well as the history of popcorn. He was responsible for inventing the popcorn popper as we know it today. Before Charles came along, people had to get creative in order to pop their corn. In the 1800s, people would throw kernels into hot ashes and then sift them out after they had popped. Other methods included using a pot with lard or other fat to make it pop. And if you're too cheap to get a dedicated popper, popcorn popper today, then that's likely still going to be your method of popping. Charles owned a candy store in Chicago, and in the late 1890s, he had created a few steam-powered machines for roasting nuts. He had the brilliant idea to apply that concept to corn kernels, and he showed off his invention at the World's Columbian Exposition, in 1893. It had appeal because it could be moved to different locations where business might be good. You weren't chained to a brick and mortar location. And it weighed between 400 and 500 pounds and it was on wheels. When the 1900s rolled around, Charles had deployed popcorn carts equipped with his steam powered popper all over the streets of Chicago. So in the 1800s and early 1900s, popcorn was consumed more as a breakfast cereal than a salty snack like we view it today. It was eaten with milk and sweetener, and that might sound crazy when you think about it, but if you really think about it, it's not too off base because a lot of breakfast cereal out there is just puffed corn. So there you go. In the 20s, the 1920s, uh, movies started to become a big deal. So we're going to start talking about uh, how popcorn made it into movie theaters, uh, how it survived the, the Depression, and then World War II and onward. So in the 20s, again, movies started to become a really big deal, and owners of theaters refused to sell popcorn because they didn't appreciate the mess they had to clean up after a show. They were trying to replicate what real theaters were doing, and they had beautiful rugs and carpets, and the popcorn would get ground into the carpet and was a real pain to clean up. I can only imagine. However, enterprising individuals continued to move their popcorn carts near theaters, and they capitalized on the steady stream of traffic. In 
and pretty soon theater owners embraced the snack and began installing their own machines. Now, a lot of these theaters weren't built with the proper ventilation to have their own popcorn machines, and so they would actually contract with some of these popcorn uh, businessmen out there, popcorn poppers that were running their stands out on the streets. And then the theater owners realized how much they could make if they cut out the middleman. And that's when they started putting dedicated machines in all of their theaters. And uh, during the Depression, popcorn was so cheap, it was still affordable by those who were struggling financially. So five to 10 cents bought you your very own bag of this amazing treat. And during World War II, sugar was rationed, and as a result, popcorn was able to step up and have a moment. Popcorn sales and consumption increased dramatically. Now, after the war, popcorn had a major slump. Consumption decreased. Again, one of the major ways people were actually enjoying popcorn was at the movie theater. And with the rise of the television, people stayed home. And until they could figure out a way to start popping popcorn at home, uh, popcorn sales kind of stayed in that slump. Now, another thought, another thought on movie theaters. In movie theaters today, there's actually about an 85% markup on popcorn and concessions. Now, however, that is incredibly important to keeping these theaters afloat. Concession sales account for about 46% of total theater profits. So, uh, we might not like the price gouging, but it does keep those theaters open. Now, can't talk about popcorn without talking about the history of microwave popcorn. <laughs> now, during World War II, Raytheon Manufacturing Corporation figured out how to mass produce magnetrons to generate microwaves for use in the war. After the war ended, one of their employees, Percy Spencer, started exploring other applications for this technology. In 1946, the very first microwave oven was developed, and Spencer used popcorn as the test subject for many of his microwave experiments. Turns out he was onto something. In the early 1980s, microwave popcorn became a huge deal, and it increased home consumption of popcorn by tens of thousands of pounds. And today, many microwaves even come equipped with a dedicated popcorn button. So a lot of people actually use their microwaves for that sole purpose of microwave popcorn. And last but not least, we really can't have a serious discussion about the history of popcorn without talking about Orville Redenbacher. Any discussion on the history of popcorn wouldn't be complete without talking about Orville. Now, Orville was born in 1907. He grew up on a farm in Brazil, Indiana. The Midwest, it turns out, is a great place to grow corn. And when Orville was 12 years old, he started growing his very own popping corn. And it quickly became his passion and obsession. And a great little business. It earned him enough money to get through school. He was able to get a degree in agriculture from Purdue University. Now, he developed a hybrid popping corn that was near perfect. He and his business partner, Charlie Bowman, 
tried tens of thousands of strains of popcorn before settling on the perfect one. An advertising agency recommended they use Redenbacher's name for their brand, and the rest is, as they say, history. Now, their particular strain is light and fluffy. It leaves hardly any unpopped kernels. And they were able to achieve a ratio of 44 to 1 unpopped to popped kernels. And that's actually quite remarkable. The last thing any of us want is to have those unpopped kernels uh, rolling around in the bottom of the bowl. So anytime you can get popcorn that pops at that ratio, you're, you're winning. So think for a minute about movie theaters. When we walk into a movie theater, we're overwhelmed immediately by this amazing smell of popcorn. And if you're anything like me, you instantly want it until you see the price tag. <laughs> and then you have to start thinking about it. Have you ever wondered why does popcorn smell so good? Well, the answer is 6-acetyl-2-3-4-5-tetrahydropyridine. That's a mouthful. It's a fancy way of saying it's the compound that makes popcorn smell good. Uh, now, this compound is formed during the Maillard reaction in food. That Maillard reaction is the browning effect you get when you sear a steak or bake bread in the oven and it turns brown. It's also released in huge amounts when popcorn is popped. And it's that smell that hits you square in the face again when you walk through the doors of the local movie theater. Now, restaurants and food companies try to capture consumers by venting this smell into the air. And it's really not fair. It's using our biology against us, right? You smell that burger, that steak, the bread, and you just, you go crazy. You want it. So that is a long and short story behind why popcorn smells so good. Last but not least, it wouldn't be the Dosey Gettle podcast if I didn't include at least a few fun facts about popcorn. So the peak season for popcorn cells uh, for home use is actually in the fall. Popping corn is one of the number one uses of microwaves, and like I mentioned, most newer microwaves even have that dedicated popcorn button. Two tablespoons of kernels makes one quart of popped popcorn, and there are 120 calories in two tablespoons of kernels. Popcorn kernels can actually pop up to three feet high in the air, so if it's unobstructed, if it's not in a pot with a lid, it will shoot three feet high in the air. Popcorn is a whole grain. If you didn't know that, now you do. Americans consume 15 billion quarts of popcorn each year. That's 45 quarts per man, woman, and child. That's just over five and a half cups of kernels per person per year. That's crazy. If you made a trail of popcorn from L.A. to New York City, you would need over 352,028,160 popped kernels. Now, popcorn needs between 13.5% and 14% moisture to actually pop. 70% of all popcorn consumed is in the home. 30% is outside the home in theaters, stadiums, schools, etc. So that's that brilliant marketing that 
came into play with Orville Redenbacher and bringing popcorn to the consumer in, in the house. When, again, in the 50s, when popcorn sales were slumping, they had to get creative and find a way to bring popcorn into the home. And they did it so effectively to where the majority is now consumed at home and 30% is outside the home in theaters. And uh, most of the popcorn in the world is grown in the USA, and Americans consume more popcorn than any other country. And last but not least, National Popcorn Day is January 19. All right, so that's all I have for you today. I want to end with the recipe for movie theater popcorn. Now, a lot of people love, if you're like me, again, you love the smell, the aroma of that movie theater uh, popcorn hitting you right in the face, and you do anything or just about anything to recreate that at home. So here's the key. It's coconut oil. Coconut oil and a butter-flavored salt called Flavacol. Now, you can buy Flavacol on Amazon for, uh, I, I bought a two pack for about 11 bucks and that two pack is going to last me probably 10 years it takes just a teaspoon of this so uh one tablespoon coconut oil half teaspoon flavacol and four ounces of the unpopped kernels and you put that i use a whirly pop it's a stovetop popper and it's one of my favorite possessions you put it in there you pop it uh turn it over heat and you pop it, and you have amazing movie theater popcorn. It's going to smell like popcorn. It's going to fill your house with that movie theater scent, and it's absolutely amazing. So I'm going to post that in the show notes. If you like what you heard, again, make sure you leave a five-star review wherever you get this podcast. That's really going to help grow the show, The other thing you could do to help grow the show is share it with a friend. If everyone were to share it with just one person, we could really grow the show quite a bit, and that would be awesome. And as always, you can find me on social media at Toasty Kettle on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always go to ToastyKettle.com to find out more about the episodes that we do for the podcast, as well as different uh, recipes from the 1700s, 1800s, and early 1900s. So a lot of good stuff at ToastyKettle.com. And uh, feel free, I, I like I said, I tweaked the settings on the podcast, so you should be able to now have access to all of the episodes that we have done here at Toasty Kettle. And there are now 40 of those, so make sure you go and check those out. Some of those earlier episodes, a lot of great content. Until next week.